Hi everyone, my name is Phil Bruns. I lead the Blue Ridge Church of Christ. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing today, thank you so much for taking a moment and some time out to be with us today. You know, we're going to be talking about Jesus today, our message titled, The Amazing Jesus. I want to start out in Matthew chapter 7 as we look at chapter 7 and chapter 8 today. In chapter 7, verse 28, when Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Jesus was a man who turned heads. He left people speechless. When they walked away, they would be talking about him. They might have looked at each other like, wow, I've never heard anything like this before. When they laid in their beds at night, they were thinking about the things that he said. When they sat around the dinner table, they discussed the things that they had heard from this man, Jesus. He turned their heads and he left people speechless. You know, there's all kinds of motivational books that are available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, other bookstores, tons of them. And many of them are good. I've read a few and have really enjoyed uh, several uh, of the uh, motivational books, motivational speakers. You can go on YouTube and listen to motivational speeches, TED Talks, things of that nature. And there's so much of that available. You know, they all bring words that hopefully take your life to the next level or maybe a specific area uh, that you can grow in. They're all words that, 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 that uh, help us grow and help us uh, change and become, uh, you know, more than maybe what we thought we could be. You could go to Spotify and listen to podcasts of, of people that have gone from rags to riches or living, living their dreams. There are all kinds of stories and information out there. But, you know, I'm not sure that Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, while it is a wonderful book, or other notable books similar to that will be around in 2,000 years. I'm not sure that they're going to stand the test of time. But this man, Jesus, did. And I believe that he's going to continue to do so. You know, I feel a certain amount of pressure as I do, uh, do this message because I want to communicate Jesus to you today. If you can take, if you can take it, uh, that, that time that Jesus was alive, if you can put yourself in that moment, if through the words today you can land yourself at Jesus' feet and, and, and picture yourself just listening to some of the words that he said, if I can help you hear him, it will change your life. You know, we all need to see the full Jesus if we want to make Jesus our Lord as they did in the New Testament. But if we can grasp just a piece of that, you know, you're going to be a better husband, better wife, better father, mother. You're going to be a better worker or student. But more importantly, you're going to grow your faith. You'll be able to understand true discipleship better and better live the life that Jesus wants uh, us to live. And as I said before, as we go through Matthew, I encourage you to think about as, as, as the writer, what was Matthew trying to tell you here? What is Matthew trying to communicate to his readers? What is Matthew uh, trying to, to, to do so that we can uh, understand this man Jesus more? Well, today I'm going to start again in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 13. My first point in the amazing Jesus is woe. As in, woe, Jesus is amazing. 
In verse 13 of Matthew chapter 7, it starts, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. For the gate is narrow and the way is constricted that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree does bear good fruit, is cut down and thrown into the fire, so then, when you know them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven, will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Leave me, you who practice lawlessness. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and slammed against that house, and yet did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. When the rains fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and slammed against the house, and it fell, and its collapse was great. There was a difference with Jesus. Either he is crazy or he is rewriting what religion was. You know, as we read through the scriptures I just read, you know, one thing that we can very clearly take away from that is my life matters. What I do and how I live and the heart behind it matters. You ever think about that? Why do I do these things? Why do I live this way? very clearly from what Jesus is sharing here. It does matter. We can't just maybe or maybe not show up. This is the way the people then at that time were living. Jesus are saying these things because they in fact were applicable to the people that sat before him that day. That they would come and maybe physically be there, but their hearts were not true followers of Jesus. We can't just follow routines because they've been done for a long time, or that's the way I was taught when I was younger. We can't just do things just because it feels good or seems right, because everybody's doing it. That doesn't make it right. We just can't do things that we think is right. No, in fact, it is the will of the Father. My thoughts can't supersede God's. My opinions can't drive my day. It's God's opinion. That should drive my day. But then how do I know? How do I know what God's opinions are? How do I know what God's thoughts are? Well, that's where we need to be in touch with God's will. And are times with God so critical? Our times with God are irreplaceable. There's not another thing that is, that is more important. Our times with God in, in prayer in worship, in Bible study. And the action that those things cause are as critical to your spiritual life as the air you breathe for your physical life. Let me say that again. The times with God, your time with God in prayer, 
in worship, in Bible study. And the action that comes from those things are as critical for you as the air that you breathe. That's why it's so important at Blue Ridge where we have uh, opportunities for community service, that we take part in those. When we have opportunities to gather together as a body, that we take advantage of those. When we have opportunities to serve uh, around the globe or send money to areas in need and to people in need, that we take advantage of those. You know, reaching out to offer Jesus to someone, you know, just helping encourage, encourage them or to comfort them or to love them or offering out to someone for them to become a disciple of Jesus. Those actions, those uh, ways that we live are so, so important. Well, one of the scariest parts of this that I just read is in verse 21, where it says, Lord, Lord, not, excuse me, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of the Father will be able to enter. That is so scary to me. Because apparently from what Jesus says, there's going to be a lot of people that think they've done well, that they think they've done right things, that they live the right way. And they're going to go to God on that day. And they'll be denied from Jesus. Apparently there's going to be folks that, that even went so far as, as like, like doing things. Didn't we prophesy in your name that God was a big part of their lives? They've taught and they've done other things and done amazing things in their minds for God, but where in fact were not God's will. And Jesus is telling this to a group of people. And it's no wonder they were amazed. They were amazed at this guy's authority. They were like, whoa, this is amazing. This is a higher call. I'm going to actually need to choose to follow. You know, at that time, and we're going to read in a minute, there were plenty of people that followed Jesus, but few would actually become followers of Jesus. It was a higher call then, and it is now for us to be disciples. It affects all that we do with our lives. It affects every area of our lives. And again, many will follow Jesus. Few will become followers of Jesus. Now, if you're like me, that can be somewhat overwhelming. Like, who can, who can follow? Like, we can't do enough. I can't, how do I know? I've only got 24 hours a day. I need to sleep during some of that time. How do I know that I can do enough? Well, actually, what Jesus wants is our hearts. You know, like the very author who wrote what I just read, Matthew himself. When Jesus called Matthew, he got up, he left his tax table, and he followed Jesus. He became a follower of Jesus because his heart was all in the back. The Bible teaches us that he left his thing sitting there. 
to be a follower of Jesus. My second thought today is wow, as in wow, Jesus is amazing. You see another aspect of Jesus, you know, he's not all proud, big king, do what I say, standing up above, finger pointing down at us, do what I say and listen to me and all of this. Sometimes we get that view. But, you know, we're going to see in Matthew chapter 8 that here he's actually reaching for people. He came to reach for Matthew. He came to reach for others. And he's not all big and on top of a mountain looking down with his finger pointed at us. Do this, don't do that. Like a proud king. Let's read these three stories of healing. Now, as we read, again, think about Matthew and why he picked these. You know, we're going to read that there's plenty of people that were Jesus healed, that Jesus touched. But why these three were written in detail for us? Why these three should we take with us? What, what from these three should we take with us? In Matthew chapter 8, starting in verse 1. When Jesus came down from the mountain, the large crowds followed him. And a man with leprosy came to him and bowed down before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out with his hand and touched him, saying, I am clean, be cleansed. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you tell no one, but go, show yourself to the priest and present the offering that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. And when Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, begging him and saying, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, terribly tormented. Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy for you to come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my slave, do this, and he does it. Now when Jesus heard it, he was amazed, and he said to those who were following, Truly I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. And I say to you that many will come from the east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be thrown out into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus said to the centurion, Go, it will be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. When Jesus came to Peter's home, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick in bed with a fever, and he touched her hand. The fever left her, and she got up and waited on him. Now when evening came, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed. He cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were ill. This happened so that what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet would be fulfilled. He himself took our illnesses and carried away our diseases. Three different stories, three different situations of people being healed that Matthew writes for us. The first one, the man with leprosy. You know, he was a man who would have been untouchable. People would have stayed away from him. They would have walked to the other side of the street. They wouldn't have looked at him. He would have been an outcast. He would have been very, very alone. He would have felt, can't I just get a break? I'm down on my luck. And again, he may have felt very alone. Like, felt like giving up. Like, is it worth it? Is it worth it for me to try? 
you know, you might feel the same way about some other things. How can, in other words, how can I be what Jesus needs me to be when I feel like I can't get through my obstacles? I face too much headwind. How can I do what Jesus wants me to do in Matthew chapter 7 when I have headwinds against me? And it's too much. And you might be feeling alone. You might be feeling scared. You might be feeling untouchable, like you can't get a break. And you know, there's two different ways when you look at that, two different roads that, that uh, we can take. One, we can look at the man with leprosy here and imitate that, desire help. We can go after help when we need it. All of us know what it, fa what it means to face headwinds. All of us have been there in hard times. So sometimes just getting some help can go a long, long ways. So we can desire that or we can get grumpy. You know, a lot of times we sometimes get mad at the world. Kind of like the, the movie from long ago is actually a movie and a sequel, Grumpy Old Men and Grumpier Old Men, if you recall that. Essentially a movie about men that had grown old, their lives had not turned out the way they had hoped, and they got grumpy. I think a lot of us probably know someone who's older that, that maybe is just kind of a grumpy person because life has not gone as they thought it would. But you know, with Jesus, there is always hope. And I think one of the things you can take away from this story is see yourself as Jesus reaching for you. Perhaps it's through this message. Perhaps it's through a friend. But if you can see Jesus reaching for you, you asking for help, that gives you hope. And with Jesus, there is always hope. We don't have to live grumpy. We don't have to live in a way that we're mad at the world. We don't have to give up because Jesus is there willing to help. The second person is a centurion. You know, in his case, he was actually trying to get help for someone else, his servant. He went to Jesus begging because his servant was in torment, which was a really great thing. Oh my goodness, uh, we can go to Jesus in the same way to pray for healing for someone, to ask God to help someone who is sick, who is, needs spiritual help or is in some other need. As I said, this situation was dire. The person was tormented. Perhaps they were about to die themselves when the centurion came to Jesus asking for help for another person. But you know, sometimes when we think about other people and what they need, that can enter a critical space for us. That person needs help because they are not what I want them to be for me. That person needs help because they're an obstacle to me. That person needs help because they're not who I want them to be. And we can go into a critical space. You know, I, my wife and I have learned this over the years of being parents. 
You, you so much as if you're a parent listening here, you you, you identify as in the sense that uh, you want your children to be all that they can be. For us, we wanted them to grow and and uh, be successful, of course, and and uh, but most of all, to to love their Jesus, to love God, to be disciples of Jesus. That meant more to us than anything as we were growing up. Well, what we realize is that not everybody is perfect the way we want them to be. There's other people in their lives that have weaknesses too, just like we do. And it was easy for us to get critical of other people. It was easy for us to be critical of a person that's giving them bad advice. It was easy to be critical of a person a person uh, setting them up for failure in their ministry or in some other part portion of their life. And so what we had to do is to take on the humility of Philippians chapter 2, bearing with others and being the example for our children of what we wanted them to be. And of course we helped them where we could if something they had heard was actually not the best thing for them. But it was taking on of uh, ourselves, of the bearing the humility, bearing with others, and not taking on criticism. You know, the Blue Ridge Church is going to be as strong as the members are in it. If you're in a small ministry group, it's going to be as strong as you help to make it. Just like if you're at, a, at work in your company, or you're, you're on a team in a, in a class, you know, it's, it's going to be as strong as you make it. I think it's up to each of us to take on an example that we want our children and want others to be. And stay away from the critical space of that person is not who I want them to be. Take on the humility to help make it better than to take on the heart of, of someone who criticizes. Finally, the third person is Peter's mother-in-law, who is sick with a fever, and presumably as you know, maybe Jesus was walking up to the home, Peter had alerted him uh, to that. I would assume that that might have been the case. As Jesus walks in and and touches her and heals her. But he didn't heal her so that she could get some rest. He didn't heal her so that she could take some time for herself. He didn't heal her so that she could go do what she wanted to do. Because if you heard the story, when Jesus healed her, when she got well, she got to work serving Jesus. She saw what Jesus needed. She was busy considering others. She was busy considering what others need. This moment actually isn't about her. It's about what she does for others. Jesus helps her to feel better, and she promptly gets busy doing the very work that Jesus is offering her and serving her. And she serves Jesus. When you're well, do you think about what Jesus needs from you? When you are well, do you think about what others need? 
what is the example that you are setting in your life? And how are you helping your ministry? How are you helping your family? When you have headwinds, do you get grumpy or unproductive? Or do you go to Jesus? You know, the interesting thing of all three of these stories, one person had leprosy, one person had it presumably all together. The centurion had a great job, successful leader, notable person. And then the mother-in-law who was sick. Three different kinds of people, but what they had all in common is that they were all looking for Jesus. They all found Jesus. Jesus, the amazing Jesus, was the one that helped them to feel better. You know, when we go and we seek out Jesus, when we go and seek out his will for our lives, when we go out, go and, and, and seek the heart that, that, that God wants us to have, good things can come from that. I want to encourage you, if you haven't read the book of Matthew, to read it. Read chapter 7 and 8 that we briefly discussed today. Go back specifically to these three moments in time where Jesus healed these people. And maybe there's another way that you identify. Maybe there's another thought that you can have, but look at those three and see how you identify with them and how you can help these examples to move forward in your faith. Thank you so much for joining. Enjoy your day. Thanks again for listening.